Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of the Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust. Odyssey is a nonprofit with the mission of helping writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror improve their work. To fulfill our mission, we offer a six week workshop each summer in New Hampshire, online writing courses and webinars each winter a critique service and consultations year-round, and many free resources, including these podcasts. Please consider making a donation to Odyssey so more writers can build their skills and realize their dreams. We can only continue each year with the support of donors like you. For more information on Odyssey, visit odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 128 is an excerpt from a lecture by Nisi Shaw at Odyssey 2019 on dialect and representation. This is part two. For part one, listen to podcast 127. The text of this recording is copyright 2019 by Nisi Shaw. The sound recording is copyright 2020 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust. Here are some of the best ways I've found to indicate dialect without doing that work of phoneticization. In the next uh, page, you'll see an example from Black Betty. In, in that section, I use both word omission and word order. And those are ways of showing speech patterns that are not standard. So Black Betty is about a dog raised by a black family and they later sell the dog along with their farm to a white family and the new owners use a recent technology to give the dog speech. In the excerpt's first exchange, they're upset to learn that the dog, Betty, uses African-American vernacular English. In the second, Betty encounters a cat who has been given the same abilities, Baby Boo. Betty's lines aren't phoneticized. I don't write W-U-T for what, for example, but I drop and reorder the words to evoke the syntax of A-A-V-E. So they're trying to get Betty to, to speak what they call good English. Say something, Betty, Laurie urged her dog. Show Caroline how smart you are. She sat on the floor, legs crossed and tucked to one side. What you want, I should say, asked Betty. Oh, for that's no better, Dad. Caroline jumped up from her armchair to leave. Those those black idiots you bought this place from sold us a freaking ghetto dog. So um, instead of saying, what do you want me to say? It's what you want. So there's the do is omitted. And I should say, what should I say? So the order is reversed. So I, I did that to illustrate that she was speaking in a different way than expected. The cat, who has not been raised to speak A-A-V-E, responds differently to Betty. Again, Betty's still using the speech patterns of her childhood or her puppyhood, who you belong to, not who do you belong to, but who you belong to. And Baby Boo says, I'm a cat. I don't belong to anybody. Baby Boo licked his sleek belly, but is you black or white? Not are you, but is you. And so 
I didn't go I-Z-Z for is. I just went with uh, word order and, and syntax. So another example is what you guys just did, um, word choice. I got in my hoopty and drove to the projects. I think that, that word choice can do a lot to illustrate someone's uh, experience and their cultural background and their expectations. In addition to realistic correlations with word choices, there are some more fanciful ones you can make which act to counter prevailing stereotypes or to subtly reinforce unacknowledged power differentials. In his novel Lovecraft Country, which I was talking about, who, who was, yes, you were reading that, Matt Ruff chose to depict only his white characters using swear words. Did you notice that when you were reading it? I noticed that uh, the white people sounded a lot more crass in that regard. I didn't notice that none of the black characters swore. Yeah, none of the black characters swear, and that is not realistic. <laughs> Let me tell you. So, so this was doing double duty. I didn't notice it after I'd read the entire book, but I talked with Matt after I'd read it, and he told me that he'd done this for two reasons. First, to remove any stigma associated with the obscene language from connection to the black characters, and to underline the powerfulness of the white characters in relation to the black ones. They had an extra dimension to their language that he denied the black characters. So it was both undercutting the stereotype of black people as savages or animals or whatever, and it was underlining the power differential. So again, you, you can be realistic or not, but it's good to have that tool in your arsenal. Uh, the fourth thing is rhythm. Uh, the rhythm internal to the word or to the sentence or to the passage. And these are very important elements to get across. I don't have excerpts to share as examples, but I can tell you that, again, Matt Ruff, the author of Lovecraft Country, who was a white man in his 40s, used commas to denote the rhythms of black vernacular Chicago speech in the early 1950s. So he went in and he put commas where he wanted pauses, even if they were grammatically incorrect commas. And then, of course, the copy editor took them out and made it all right, and then he went back and put them in in again, and it was a battle, but it was important to him to get that rhythm across. Another tool that you can use to get rhythm across is italicization, or, you know, you can use all caps, like I imagine you could have done with your argument. One way I suggest to get used to this, to inculcate non-standard speech patterns rhythms into your dialogue, is to just flat out copy them. Find a poem or a speech from a primary source from someone who is native to the pattern you want to mimic. Write it out. Then, in parallel, write your passage, syncing up your passage's stressed syllables and phrasings and sentence lengths to the original. Just do sort of an interlineal thing. You can do that with poetry, with music, anything that's a text, an original text 
from the speech pattern that you're trying to imitate. The fifth and final thing, the example I have is on your next page, the Nalo Hopkinson Midnight Robber example, cultural references, which is sort of related to the idea of word choice, but it's more particularized. Hairdos, food taboos, missing or emphasized concepts. So this is page 44 of this novel. It's a refinement of this uh, word choice thing. My example is pertinent because Nalo Hopkinson prefers to integrate the representation of non-standard speech into her narrative text as well as into her character's dialogue. You can see that in addition to the Caribbean French-derived endearment du du, which means sweet, sweet, there's mention by the narrator of her mother's skin color. This could be problematic because the skin color is compared to food, and I really hate when people do that over and over and over again. But the food involved is a non-commodified indigenous food, so that lessens the iffiness to my mind. He's talking about tamarind brown beauty, and tamarind is uh, an indigenous food stuff, and it's not one that has been exploited to the extent that, say, chocolate has or coffee. So so I I am okay with that. And do do that points to the variety, the diversity of Caribbean culture and it is an, an insider sort of term. Another factor to pay attention to if you read the entire book, which I recommend because it's great, it's my favorite Nalo Hopkinson is the differing bases of the dialects represented by the narrator's voice and the voices of the novel's characters. Both are non-standard English, but they derive from different islands. To some ears, the distinction will be clear. To others, it won't. But I think this is my uh, t-shirt phrase. This is what I want a bumper sticker to say. Difference is not monolithic. It's just not. Would you mind recapping very briefly the, the five points that you mentioned? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a great idea. The first two are word omission and word order. And I see them going sort of hand in hand because you often do them both at the same time. Uh, the third tool would be word choice. Um, the fourth would be rhythm. And I talked about how that's the rhythm of both the word and a sentence, and even a passage, a paragraph. And there are ways to get that across on the page, such as commas, such as italicization. And a way to bring it out in your own work is to copy an original source's rhythm. And then the fifth thing is to uh, put in cultural references as much as you can. The text of this recording is copyright 2019 by Nisi Shaw. The sound recording is copyright 2020 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.